Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will begin a new study from Hosea chapter 13 about God's voice to Israel. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Please turn, if you would, to um, Hosea chapter 13. I'm going to talk about uh, what happened here and regard to Israel and Hosea's day and, and God's voice to them through his prophet Hosea. And this chapter is wonderful, and so if you turn there, Hosea 13, and follow along as I read the first 14 verses. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. All of it, the work of the craftsmen, they say to them, they say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passes away. As the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor and as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord thy God, from the land of Egypt. And thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great, great drought. According to their pastures, so were they filled, they were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard, will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call or breast of their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities and thy judges whom thou saidest, give me a king and princes? I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. For he should not stay long in the place of breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Book of Hosea was written about 800 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born. The background is a very sad darkness over the northern part of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. People had forsaken God. They turned away from the Lord. They were worshiping idols, in particular Baal. There's just one word to describe the state of the Jewish people at this point in their history. Whoredom. That's the word God calls. Whoredom. Spiritually, spiritually speaking, adultery. And in particular, the tribe of Benjamin had fallen to the serious, serious idolatry. So this is a book with one message. And that message is no matter how far the Jewish people have fallen away from their God, have forsaken their God, he'll judge them. But as he's judging them, 
He's calling out to them to turn back to him for their help. And so he raises up this prophet named Hosea. Hosea or, or Hosea, as we would say, meaning salvation. That's the meaning of his name, salvation. And so Hosea receives the word of God, which is given in Hosea 1-2. If you like to turn to it, it's kind of interesting. Hosea 1-2. And what he's done here is God wants to create an object lesson. He wants to create a picture for Israel to see. And what is it? He says, Isaiah 1-2, he asked the prophet to go marry a prostitute. Anyway, so here's what it says in Hosea 1-2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom in departing from the Lord. So what happened? God tells Hosea, Go out and find the most unfaithful, treacherous, polluted, hard-hearted, foul prostitute you can find. God called her a wife of whoredoms. Now, this is, can you picture Hosea on eHarmony here? And he's filling out his checklist. I want a prostitute, unfaithful, treacherous, polluter and polluted. But God tells, God tells Hosea, don't just put, marry her and put her in a corner of a house. He says, make her the mother of your children. Have with her what God calls in, in verse 2, the children of whoredoms. You know, why did God do that? I mean, poor Hosea. You know, because God wanted to create in the life of Hosea a picture of how God felt toward Israel toward the Jewish people who had turned away from him. And so you talk about a dedicated man of God, Hosea. I mean, this is God's man. And he obeyed God. And he went out and he found her. Such a find. <laughs> Gomer. He found her unfaithful, hard-hearted, a prostitute. And he marries her. And she proves true to her core. And, and, and she was as unfaithful as unfaithful can be. She returned to prostitution and she broke Hosea's heart. This is pretty rough on Hosea. I mean, can you imagine? This must have rocked him to his core. He wasn't this way. It's a good thing he didn't read Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. Or he might have really been confused as to how does God want me to be happy. <laughs> but Gomer did not make Hosea happy. And she broke his heart. And in chapter 3, Gomer left Hosea and was in the arms of her friend. And God told Hosea what to do about that. And turn to that chapter 3, verse 1. Look at that. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord, toward the children of Israel, toward the Jewish people, who look to other gods and love the flagons of, of wine. So when Gomer is in the very arms of her adulterer, God told Hosea, go. That's the hardest thing for a servant of God to do. It's the hardest thing for us to do, isn't it? We understand, and it's just to go. We talked about that 
last time. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Go, he says. Go. And he, and he told her, love her. Love her. You know, and, and it's very interesting that and don't, don't li- miss that little three-letter word. Go yet. That word's very important. You know what it means? It means yet. <laughs> I studied a lot. It means yet. Trust me. Yet. <laughs> Hosea was coming to God and, and he was saying, do you know what, what this woman has done to me? Do you know how much she's hurt me? Do you know how much she's broke my heart? Do you know how unfaithful she is? How she's shaken, how she's shaken me to my core? She broke me. You shake me, I rattle inside, I'm broken, I didn't deserve this. And God says, I know all of that, and he sums it all up with that three-letter word, go yet. What's it mean? Nevertheless, everything you've said, go. Nonetheless, even so, go, go. You know, apply that to our lives. How many times have we in our lives know what God wants us to do? And we've got a whole list of why nots. And God says, for all of the why nots, yet. Go yet. Now, it wasn't easy for Hosea to bring Gomer back because Gomer had sold herself to this man. So in the second chapter, second verse of chapter 3, Hosea 3, 2, Hosea says, So I couldn't just bring her back. He says, I had to buy her. I had to buy her out of the hands of her lover. So it says in verse 2, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. Gets the exact amount in there. Imagine how difficult this was for Hosea. He had to go and buy back his wife from the arms of of her lover. What kind of a welcome home conversation do you think they had? Hosea, she said, and, and Gomer shuts the door, and and uh, Hosea speaks to his wife, and you know, we have the, te- the text of their conversation in the next verse. But the first and foremost thing to know about Hosea was before Hosea was Gomer's husband. Hosea was God's man. Before he was her husband, he was God's man. So as he looked at Gomer and had every reason to explode on her, he was God's man, and he was under orders, and he was following what God had told him to do. So so God said to, to Hosea, don't just do what you have to do, Be what you have to be. There's a difference. Don't just go and bring her back. He says, go yet love her. Love her. Don't just go through the the steps of a husband. Go through, be be the loving husband. So it's so difficult when God says to us husbands, husbands, love your wives. It'd be a lot easier if God said, take the trash out, wash the dishes, open the door for her. We could do the handle that just fine, you know. But God says, no, no, no. Be what you need to be. And so he told Hosea that. So Hosea brings his defiled wife back to his house. Broken heart. Just tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Drama, drama, drama. And he sits her down. And he pours his broken heart out to this hard-hearted woman. And he pleads with her in verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. 
And so here's what he said. He wrote it down for us. He said, And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me, exclusively, for me, many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also, I also will be for thee. It's precious. I mean, Hosea says to Gomer, Honey, this place is our house. You stay here. You stay at home. You be a stay-at-home mom. You stay here. And abide. You really get the... You can see Hosea says, Think about this word. Abide. Stay here. Don't leave. Don't leave me. Please stay here for me. Keep yourself for me. Keep yourself clean for me. And don't be for another man. I'll, and then he says, I'll be for you. That's the agreement we're going to have. You be for me, I'll be for you, and we'll be for each other. You know, that's so foreign today to people. It is so foreign. Sin is so accepted today. It's just so rampant that those simple things are the farthest thing from people's minds. There's just such an insensitivity to sin that's happened because sin makes the conscious insensitive. People so freely make themselves dirty and make other people's dirty. They defile themselves. I was talking to a man this week about sin, and he didn't think he had sin. He didn't think he had sinned, and thought, okay, I'll just listen more. And so as time went on, he told me that he had slept with 105 women. And I told him, trust me, when you go down that list, that checklist, and the part says, I have sinned, I said, check it. I said, you more than qualify as a sinner. (laughs) But Hosea pleaded with his unfaithful wife to love him. He pleaded with to love him as he loved her and be for him as you have her. You know, are you amazed at what Hosea did? I'm amazed. at what I think it's incredible what Hosea did. And I would not even believe it. I would say, well, you know, that was thousands of years ago. But I had the privilege in my life to personally know a Hosea. I don't know if many of you know this, but I'm going to tell you. She was a woman. This was a woman, not a man, Hosea. It was a woman. I was just saved in 1970. I was just saved, and I knew nothing about church. I knew things. I knew about synagogue. I'd been raised a Jew. I was a brand new baby Christian, and I was attending San Diego City College downtown. And my my dear wife was concerned because I'd just gotten saved that I start to grow in Christ, and so she went. Uh, apart from me, she went on the campus, San Diego City College, and she found the Christian group that was there, and she, uh, she met the leader of the group, whose name was Michael Johnson. That's Mike Johnson. And she asked him, go find my husband. He's just become a Christian. He needs to get into this Christian group. And Michael asked her, well, how am I going to recognize your husband? She said, she said, he's the only Jew at San Diego City College with an afro. She told him. I did have an afro those days. <clears throat> And so that same day, Michael came up to me and told me he'd met my wife and, and invited me to the group. And Michael and I became best friends. And Michael's, Michael's mother was Filipina. Her name was Tony. And Michael's father was African-American. 
So Michael took me to his home, and I met his two brothers, Larry and Mark. They had larger afros than me, by the way, especially Larry. He looked like Jimi Hendrix. But we became, we became very close. I became very close to their family. I told them one time, I said, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to become Jewish or I'm going to become Filipino. When I met Michael's father, that was interesting. I met Michael's father. He was in bed with his legs amputated because he had very, very severe diabetes. But the greatest privilege I had was to know Michael's mother, Tony. And she would, she would tell stories, and his brothers would tell stories, and Michael would tell stories. And so I, I saw in her something amazing, a love for Michael's father. See, she was the Hosea. See, see, Tony and her first husband, and they had children, had gone through World War II and the, with the occupation of the Japanese. And when Tony's children were starving... In, uh, in, uh, in Manila, Tony, under risk, Tony was very brave. Tony, under risk of death, went up to the Japanese guards and, uh, and begged for food for her family. That's how her family survived. Her first husband, Mr. Cerna, he died. And, but Michael's father came over to the Philippines from the U.S. Navy, and he married Tony, and they had four children, including Michael. Then Michael's father left the Philippines and also left his family behind in the Philippines and returned here to San Diego, where he met another woman and married her, never telling her that he had a family back in the Philippines. And they had a a daughter, Sharon. And then Tony found out about this in the Philippines. So you know what she did? She packed up her family and the kids, and they came to San Diego. And she found her husband. What do you think she did to him? No, she didn't. <laughs> she, he found him. Now, the problem was that Michael's father didn't want to leave his new wife. And, and so Tony said she would love him in spite of his sin. And she wanted to be with him and take care of him. And she did. And Tony became the maid in their home. Think about that. Tony, with her four children by this man, took care of her husband in his adulterous state with this other woman. And that was amazing. And then what happened was that he got diabetes. It got worse and worse, and he lost his legs. And one night, his new wife was downtown walking in Balboa Park, and someone came out and stabbed her to death. She died. So now here's Michael's father, No new wife, no legs, bedridden, and totally dependent on Tony. And that's where I came into the scene. And I watched Tony take care of him for years and love him. After all that he did and love him until the day he died. I I tell you, I never saw anything like that before. It was just amazing. She was a living example of Hosea 3.1. Love according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, toward the Jewish people who look to the other gods. Now that's the background on the book of Hosea. God's heart is broken for his people who will, be, who will not be faithful to him and are, they're committing adultery and yet God continues to love Israel. Now we come to chapter 13 in the book. <clears throat> chapter 13 says that the problem with Ephraim Ephraim was he exalted himself. Ephraim was proud. 
He was proud. You know, there's only one reason why a person ends up in hell. Do you know what that is? P-R-I-D-E. That's the only reason why people end up in hell. Proud of what? Proud of who they are. I remember hearing a doctor say to a gardener one time, I don't think you know who you're talking to, he said. That's pride of who you are. Pride of self. Pride of what they've accomplished. You know, some are so proud of what they've accomplished that the walls in their offices are not large enough to put all their diplomas on. Proud of what they possess. That was Hezekiah's problem. The king of of Babylon had sent to Hezekiah an envoy with a present in Isaiah 39.2. says, and Hezekiah was glad of them, the people, and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, all the house of his armor, all that was found in all his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Why did Hezekiah do that? He said, look what I got! Look what I got! And that was a serious sin as far as Hezekiah was concerned. These three prides, self, accomplishment, possessions, they harden the heart. They harden. You know, I remember one time I was going door to door and I was over in, in, in Canto area on the other side of town, you know, where the houses are kind of you know, boarded up and, you know, it's, it's, it's not La Jolla. Anyway, and, I, and people were so open. They were so open to God. They were so open to God's message. And then I decided to come over here, not far from here, San Carlos, and just up the road a little bit. And, and I remember coming up to a driveway, and there was the motorhome parked in the driveway, and next to that, the jet skis, and there was a big flat screen TV in the garage, and there's watching the TV. And, and I remember the response there was like, God, why? No, no, no. Such a difference. Why? Possessions. Possessions. What is, what is, what is, what's, what's, what is it with possessions? Idols. Idolatry stands before the person and God, in between. Look at the end, when, at the end of this verse here in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, when he offended in Baal, he died. Death, what comes as a result of this idolatry? Death. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 12, 15, and he said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness for a man's life. Not death. Life, a man's life, consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now, what does God do when a person has these idols, or in Israel, in this case, had these idols? Well, look at verse 4 and 5 in, in, in Hosea 13. God says to Israel, I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt. Thou shalt know no God but me. There's no Savior but me. God's saying to Israel, you remember how I found you in Egypt? You were being exterminated by your enemies. You remember how I took you to myself to be a people? You know the worst thing that Israel said in the wilderness? You know what it was? It was better for us in Egypt. It was better. Oh, the leeks, the garlics. And God said, I did know thee intimately, like a husband would know her wife. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. And God said, those were memorable times for you and for me. Remember how I gave you water and what he, from rocks, from very rocks? He says, I know where you were. You were in the land of great drought. There was no water there. When you were got water for your millions of people there, there's no way that you could say it was a coincidence that the water came out of the rock. Or, that's funny, must be some new scientific thing now. Water comes out of rocks. There's no way. He said, I brought the water out of the rocks. That was me. And that, you know who that was speaking? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He, behind the veil, 
was saying to them, I did that for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you to myself. I tried so hard to get Egypt out of you. And I fed you and I gave you water. And why did I do that? Because I was building a relationship with you. Because I was saving you to be exclusively married to me. Tom, how will the world know when the Jewish people have been reconciled to God? The answer to that is found in Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. It's the passage we were covering. Because here it says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. When the Jewish people come to know that there is no God except for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is no Savior apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that'll be the time when they will be a saved people reconciled to God. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues our study from Hosea chapter 13. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent directly to them? You can contact us directly by phone and we can help you to do that. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051 and we can help you to fulfill God's command to go to his lost nation of people first. Now, many of us know Jewish people, whether it's a lawyer, a doctor, a businessman, a friend, a neighbor, and maybe you have a Jewish family member that you want to reach with the gospel. We can help you to do that. Call us again at 1-800-247-3051. And again, go to friendshipwithgod.org to get a copy of today's message. Join us again tomorrow at the same time.